Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Campus of Good News Church, and our purpose as a church is to make disciples together. So listen, would you say this purpose with me, just to get it in your head, to make disciples together. Now, our journey with Jesus begins when we turn from our sin and we trust in Him for eternal life, that our process of making disciples begins with winning lost people. And we rejoice this week at seeing three different people who put their trust in Jesus Christ and received the gift of eternal life. Now, here's the thing. We usually clap at the end of the race. But in the Christian life, we clap at the beginning of the race, but it's not over. It begins there, and now we want to establish these people in their faith, build them up as followers of Jesus, and then equip them to pass our faith on, because if three have been added, that's great, and we should rejoice. Oh, but if those three could be enabled to multiply, then that three could become nine, and that nine could become 18, and 36, and then pretty soon, I went to Presbyterian College, the math failed me. Listen, I want you to grab your Bible. These are the six most important verses about Jesus in the New Testament outside of the Gospels. These are amazing verses, and we uh, studied it a bit last week. We're going to look at them some more this week, and then come back next week, because we're going to be looking at these verses one more time. Um, next week. Listen, I want to read this passage, then I'm going to pray. This is God's Word. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him. I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you love the Son. And Jesus, you are God the Son in whom the Father delights. Behold, my beloved Son. And Holy Spirit, you love to make a big deal about Jesus. And so I pray, 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we could see with the eyes of our hearts the glory and greatness of Jesus. And Jesus, that in seeing you, you could help us understand that you are holding all things together. And oh, how we need it. With our broken bodies and leaking finances and hurting relationships. And and even in our greatest joys, our greatest joys are, are just a little taste of the greatness of eternal life with you. So Father, I'm asking you to take the things about Jesus in in this passage and make them real to every person here and anyone watching online so that we might learn to draw life from Him who is our loving Savior and our living Lord. Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Many, many years ago, there was a commercial, there was a woman, and she was a mom, and everything in her house was falling apart, the kids were running through the house, the dog was knocking things over, and suddenly, in her exasperation, she puts her hand on her head, and she says, Calgon, take me away. People loved those commercials. They went for decades. You know, you ever have a Calgon moment? You ever just say, Jesus, take me away? You know, last year, there was a period of time last year where, listen, I always sleep great at night. I'm so grateful to my Heavenly Father for that. But there was a period of time last year where, where from the moment I woke up in the morning until I put my head on the pillow at night, I just had low-level anxiety all day long. And sometimes that low-level anxiety would just bubble up. My hands would shake. My heart would race. My breathing was more difficult. There were times where I was really scared. And you know what I learned? I learned in those moments that Jesus Christ held me together. And what I want you to learn this morning is that Jesus Christ holds all things together. He holds all things together. Listen, we we read it right there in verse 17. In him, all things hold together. Now, in my moments of panic, in my moments of fear, in my moments where, where anxiety begins to, get, begins to get the best of my heart, in those moments, I see in my heart a tendency to look to things other than Jesus to hold me together. In, in fact, the, the whole Bible is really the story of, of what God has done to hold all things together and what man does to try and hold all things together, and the two are at constant conflict. Now listen, I'll tell you how it ends. Jesus wins, and he holds all things together, but it's a fight because our hearts are constantly producing other things that we think are going to hold our lives together. In in Jeremiah chapter 2, 
God takes his people to task for their tendency to look to other things to hold their lives together. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, there's a tendency in our heart to to manufacture false gospels and false gods that can't hold our lives together, but we forget about Jesus. And we forget about Jesus. We, We run to broken cisterns that can't hold water. I think about the way that we run to people. So many of us are people pleasers. We run to people to hold our lives together. We think that if I, get a, if I could just get enough words of encouragement and affirmation and support, that'll hold my life together. And Paul, in Galatians, the book of Galatians, he says, listen, that, that's not going to work. Because if you, if you try to live to please people then you lose the ability to be a bondservant of Jesus. So the thing you look to, people, becomes a source of your life falling apart even more because people will often disappoint you. So people, it's a terrible source of life. It's a terrible way to try and hold your life together, but we do it. Probably the most common way that any, of us ever, that any of us ever use to try and hold our life together is performance. We think when our life starts to come, come apart at the seams, we think, oh, I know the solution. I'm going to double down on effort. I'm going to try harder. <sighs> Listen, <laughs> it won't work. Imagine a husband gets home from work. Husband comes in the house, and the wife, she's come home from work early. And she's in the kitchen, and she's getting dinner ready. The husband comes in, and she, he notices that she's making a salad, and he sees that she's slicing carrots. And he says, oh, honey, you know, in my house growing up, we always shredded the carrots. Okay, well. She kind of hears that. They go, to, they go to the table. It's time to eat. He sits down. He notices. Oh, honey, don't you know the, the fork goes on the left side and the knife goes on the right? Hmm. Later, it's after dinner. They're in the kitchen and she's rinsing all the dishes. She's rinsing them. She's putting them in the dishwasher. He says, oh, honey, don't you know? Don't you know our dishwasher is so powerful and we use that cascade. We don't have to rinse our dishes, just put them in the dishwasher. Now her arms fall to her side, her shoulders sloop forward, and tears start running down her face. And what does he say? What did I do? You see our hearts? are just wired to performance. One person is devastated, and the other person is completely unaware. But his first thought is, what did I do? 
when we trust in performance to hold our life together, what actually happens is it accelerates it coming apart. People, performance, possessions. Amazon in 2021 did $137 billion in revenue. And that's just their, their retail stuff. We are buying things in this country and in this world. Why? Sue Ellen and I are walking the other day. Zoom goes the FedEx truck down our street. Wow, there goes the prime delivery truck. Here comes the UPS guy. Here goes the U.S. Postal Service. Remember the game Punch Buggy? You never you saw a beetle, you'd punch your brother. People should do that with box trucks. We're overrun in a pursuit of possessions to try and hold our lives together. And the more we fill our lives with stuff, the more our lives start to fall apart because the moment they get there and the box is empty, we already feel that it's not enough. Our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are constantly producing false gods and telling ourselves false gospels of what will really hold our lives together. And that's why we need to be told again and again and again what this passage taught us, which is that Jesus holds all things together. We need to pray it and sing it and say it and share it. But most importantly, we need to believe it way down deep in the center of our lives that Jesus Christ holds all things together. Now, how does he do it? There's two important doctrines that the Bible teaches about how Jesus holds all things together. Now, the first doctrine is this. It's the doctrine of creation. And it's the teaching that the Bible gives that God, through Jesus Christ, made all things that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit went to work in creation and made all things. And it's so important. Because if we don't understand who made us, we won't go to the right source for the solution to the problem when our hearts are coming apart at the seams. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that I'm fortunate enough to go out and buy a brand new boat. I go out and I buy a a brand new Carolina skiff. It's great. I put it in the water. We go out into the Matanzas River. We're going to have a great day. And then all of a sudden, it just stops working. So I get a tow back to the boat ramp. I put the boat on the trailer. And I say, ah, you know what? There are some technicians and some mechanics at Northrop Grumman who are really, really smart. Those guys, I bet they'd know how to fix my Carolina skiff. I bet they could get this thing working real good. 
So I pull off US-1 into Northrop Grumman, and I stop at the gate, and the guy says, well, what are you here for? And I said, well, I have this Deuce Carolina skiff. It's not working. And he would say, come on in. We got smart mechanics here. Oh, he'll say, we don't make Carolina skiffs here. You have to go to the right manufacturer. You see, the Bible only speaks of one creator, God. We make, but God creates. And if you want to understand life, you have to go to the right source. And the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. And this passage that I just read said that through Jesus, all things were made by him and for him. So go to the right source. Go to the creator to understand how to hold your life together, how he can hold your life together. So there's the doctrine of creation. But there's a second doctrine, and that's the doctrine of providence. The doctrine of providence. And the doctrine of providence teaches this. Here's a helpful summary. That God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. See, God's work of providence is that he holds all things together, that he governs all the actions of his creation, the people who live in his creation. When I need to understand what is happening in my life, I can look to Jesus because he's my provider. The root of providence is the word provide. That Jesus is the one who holds all things together, that he's constantly providing for his people. He's constantly providing for life. He's constantly providing for everything I need. He is my provider. He provides. Now, the, the root of the word provide is two words, pro and vide, to look over, to oversee. We used to have an expression in English that if a person was going to take responsibility for something, they would say what? They would say, I'll see to that. I'll see to that. And the doctrine of providence teaches that in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit saw the brokenness and the fallenness of the creation as it would end up, and God the Son said... I'll see to that. I'll do for them what's necessary to give them forgiveness and eternal life. I'll see to that. And not only that, I will see to the right ordering of all things in creation according to my will. And I will be the one risen from the dead, powerful enough and wise enough to Hold all things together. R.C. Sproul, who is a very, very smart Bible teacher, now with Jesus. He's a lot smarter now that he's with Jesus. But he was smart in his life. He said this, Christ is 
the cohesive force of the universe. It's Christ who holds all things together. He holds it together. And so, if there is anything repugnant to the New Testament Christianity, to New Testament Christianity, it would be the idea that the universe operates independently or separately from the will of God and from the power of Christ. I cannot exist another moment but through the will of my Father. And even those who find Christ an object of derision and those who find Christ indeed repugnant to their mind are dependent upon Christ for their continued disobedience. So what is Christ's rule in his works of creation and providence? Christ rules over the universe. He holds all things together in the universe. Believers and unbelievers all fall under his sovereign rule. This passage goes another step. This passage goes from the universe down to the church. Men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation in the visible church on earth right now, Jesus holds the church together. What will, be, what will make the world around us lean in and take notice of the church? When people are moved to, to lean in and look inside the church, if they see people in the church who are just as angry and just as upset and just as disappointed with one another as the people in the world are, and there's no forgiveness, there's no reconciliation, there's no willingness to make things right, then they will not lean in to hear more about our Jesus who's holding all things together. But if Jesus holds all things together, including his church, and people come and they see people who naturally make each other mad and disappoint one another and hurt one another, but are enabled to forgive one another, and reconcile with one another, and be patient with one another, they will lean in and say, there must be something, there must be someone who holds this thing called the church together. Because in the world, it's getting more and more difficult to hold things together. If in the church, people can see that there's something that holds things together when we disappoint each other, when we hurt each other, when we're angry with each other, they'll have more of a reason to lean in to our Jesus. Now next week, we're going to look in particular at how Jesus holds us together in the church, and it's the word reconciled in verse 19. So listen, if you, if you know anybody who ever gets upset with someone else, and you want to help them, just maybe learn how to be reconciled, you come back next week and you just bring them with you. He holds the church together. He holds the universe, the church, 
But there's one more step. This is the biggest step of all. He holds you together. You see, the the moment that Adam and Eve turned away from their identity as God's kids and tried to make an identity of their own apart from him, the moment they turned away from God and did the, the thing that he told them not to do, something came into the universe called sin. And sin brought death. Now, the first expression of that death was what the Bible calls spiritual death. From that moment, Adam and Eve and everyone who was born from Adam and Eve was spiritually dead. That is, we were cut flowers. You ever grow flowers in your garden? You cut them, you put them in the vase, and then they wilt. Now, some flowers, you know, if you put them in water, they'll last a week, maybe two. But eventually, the petals fall off, and the flower dies. Because the moment it's cut off from the source, it's dead. And the same is true of us. The moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God, we all became spiritually dead. We come into this world spiritually dead. Now, it took many, many, many years for Adam and Eve to die physically. But the moment they disobeyed God, they were cut off from the source of life. And their lives began to fall apart. Now, spiritual death and physical death are not the worst. The worst is if something isn't done to solve the sin problem that we all face and our spiritual death is followed by our physical death and nothing intervenes, then we die an eternal death. That is, we're separated from God and everything good forever. But the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he gave himself in our place. On the cross, Jesus died as our substitute. And when Jesus died, he made it possible for sinners to be brought back into spiritual relationship with God. He made it possible for us to be restored back to our position of relationship with God, where we could begin to draw life from Him. He begins to put back right what was lost because of sin. Jesus does that. That's the good news. And our part is to receive the gift of eternal life, to to follow Jesus and trust in Jesus to set back right what had been lost through sin. And the question is, are you trusting in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ to forgive you and to give you the gift of eternal life? You see, we have to turn, that's repentance, we turn from all those false hopes that we have, people, performance, possessions, I have more peace, power, pleasure, politics. We turn from those things and we put our trust in Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. 
And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, won't you invite Jesus into the center of your heart and life and let him put the broken pieces of your life back together? They all go back to that first fall, that first sin. And Jesus has dealt with it through his cross. And he proved it by rising again. And God the Father proved that he accepted it by giving him the chief place in the universe. So trust him. And listen, if you have trusted him, what's next? What's next is to go on believing and abiding in him. You see, my only hope of Jesus setting things right in my life is if I abide in him. See, the corollary of Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together, is John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the all things of Colossians 1.17 brings with it the nothing of John 15.5. But the good news is, with my nothing, I'm able to plug into Jesus and draw life from him. Listen, if you're here and and you're lost, you're not a Christian, could I just invite you to consider investigating Jesus Christ? Listen, what, what do you think the odds are that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did? What do you think the odds are? You think it's 50 50? 60 40? What if it was 90-10? What if there was only a 10% chance that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did? Now, if you had a chance, a 10% chance, to pay $2 and win the lottery, would you do it? Just about everybody would, even if it was just 10% chance. People do it all the time, and it's way below a 10% chance. When I was a Young Life leader, we used to sing a song. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. But it went something like this. What if what they say is true? What if you walked on water? What if you healed disease? Could you heal me? I don't want to believe it. I don't want to receive it. But what if what they say is true? What if you calm the sea? Could you calm me? Is it worth investigating? Listen, if if someone invited you today, go to that person and say, could you help me investigate who Jesus is, who he says he is, and what he said he did? And listen, if you don't have anybody you could go to, come talk to me. Mark it on your card. I would love the privilege of looking at the life of Jesus with you to discover Is he who he said he is? Has he done what he said he's done? What if you're here and you are a believer? Abide. If if it's true that these six verses are the most important six verses outside the Gospels about Jesus Christ, then take those six verses and read them this week. 
read them and meditate on them and pray them and read them and meditate on them and pray them and memorize them and take the truth of who Jesus is down deep into your heart. That's what it means to follow him. Abide in him. Draw life from him. And listen, if you're a worker, if you're a person who said yes to following Jesus out into the harvest to try and help other people come to know who he is, then listen, you draw life from him. Every day you draw life from him and then you go out and you look for people whose lives seem to be falling apart. They won't be hard to find. And you go to them and and you just put out your hand and say, Hi, I'm Dave. And you use your name. But you just be friendly. That's the first step. And then just ask, How you doing? How, How are you? And then listen. Listen. And if the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity, you take the initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the good news of the gospel with them. You you tell them, ask permission. Say, could I share with you what's really helped me when my life has been falling apart? And then you tell them, oh, Jesus, I lost it all. My life was falling apart. Jesus, Jesus did it all. He's putting my life back together. I get it all. You you share with them. And listen, if they say, no, I'm I'm not really interested, you say, that's okay. That's okay. Could I pray for you? And just see what God might do if you start to look for people who are new, people who are lonely, people who are sitting alone, people who are at the bottom of the staff you know, work chart. You start befriending them, the last and the least. Start hanging out with them and see what your father does. You see, he holds all things together. When he starts to put our life together, we have the joy and the privilege of going with this story of the gospel to the nations. Let's pray. Together, Jesus, You hold all things together. Jesus, we've sung it and we've heard it, and now we come to this table and we get to see it and then we get to eat it. We get to sup with you, the one who is willing to give it all so that we could have it all. Jesus, we need you. We need you to hold us together And Jesus, we need you to hold our universe together and our church together. If you're here this morning and and you've never put your trust in Christ to put the pieces of your life back together, won't you? Listen, if you sense him drawing you to himself, drawing you to to himself, won't you just say to him now where you're sitting, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you and my life is coming apart. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and rose again from the dead to put the broken pieces of my life back together. And I want to have a forever relationship with you. 
You come into my life. I trust you as Savior, and I want to follow you as Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, we all need you. Every moment of every day. So, Father, I pray this week that we could abide in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.